Welcome to Yelling at the Screen. Welcome oh. to... Oh my god, he scared me. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> Yelling at the Screen. What I'm a... your host, Jack. <laughs> I'm Caleb. I'm Jack. Oh, crap, I'm Colin. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Last time when we left, we had a little homework assignment regarding a topic we wanted to discuss in relations to film. We each had to go out and find a lady in our lives, whether it was our spouse or a sister or a friend, and ask them this quick question about a film we thought they portrayed women well and realistically in film. Gentlemen, did we all turn in our homework assignments? <laughs> I almost did not. I uh, did it about maybe 30 to 40 minutes before we hit the record button. <laughs> Colin said I was too busy getting married under Corona stuff to really Dude, worry. Actually, yeah, I was going to talk about that a little. I was like, I got married. Oh, by the way, everyone, I got married. Woo! Yay, Colin! Yippee! Yay, me. I'm married. But, uh, yeah, I uh, forgot about it, and I was like, oh, I record today. I and I and I took care of it, so. Yay, Colin! <laughs> now, now we're all here. Well, without further ado, I'm going to open up that conversation piece, just because last time when we talked about Isle of Dogs, we did talk a little bit about feminism and whether or not men need to portray women in a certain light and what that needs to look like in film. So I asked a few people who I know are film lovers or lovers of media in general to talk about this discussion point. And one I brought up who she wished to remain anonymous, but she's a, is it anonymous? Anonymous? Ano- oh, uh, yeah. good lord. <laughs> anonymous. We're not even five minutes in and I'm already messing up everything. Jeez, Jack. <laughs> oh, Come on, Jack. You're Get not together. messing stuff up. <laughs> but anyways, this is an old college friend who was in the film club with me and she made the comment, the fact her opening comment, I think, is a great way to start this conversation and kind of a great way to show where I personally align in this conversation. She immediately was like, you know, Jack, the fact that I don't have an obvious quick answer to that shows the problem in, like, ooh. you know, film. And I was like, ooh, got him. That's a Let's great go. way of saying it. Dang. Yeah. My wife, uh, which I can say now, my wife, even though I'm pretty sure I called her my wife last episode, uh, leaned her head in at at the beginning of this and she was like yeah you want to know why it's going to be a short segment <laughs> oh. <laughs> and i was Go like Catherine, why? Dang. and shout out to like, Catherine, because oh, there's not avid enough, listener of yelling not at the screen enough, uh, women there's not enough <clears throat> positive portrayal of women in movies i don't know why my wife's voice is uh <laughs> your voice my my voice yeah it's Colin, you know she's actually going to listen to this. She is an actual avid listener. What would be great is if she, like, busted in the room right now and and started talking to us. Right? And was like, let me tell you. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, it is unfortunate, which makes this segment tricky. But I also think it's a good ongoing conversation to have about the world of film. For sure. One, One thing, when I asked my sister about this, my little sister Liz, she brought up a few movies she thought did a really good job. So the films she thought of was her first example was the movie Sweet Home Alabama, which I believe that's Reese Witherspoon in that movie. That's interesting. 
she she brought up this point. She said, yes, it's a chick flick, but it delves into the main character's guilt over feeling relieved to not be a mother when she had a miscarriage and displays the complicated decisions women weigh with love and balancing your role as a daughter and member of a community and desire for a career. Oh, I think I wrote that down wrong. She said, I love it. It's a chick flick, but that's the first movie that comes to my mind. Which I even brought up the point that, hey, a lot of critics who dismiss chick flicks, they're men, you know? Like, what does their that's point true. matter? Boom. That's true. <laughs> Dang. Podcast done. Throwing <laughs> our own gender under the bus, Jack. Well, we're also men, Way to go. so I guess our... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this pod, you can go cancel and our podcast now. No, but she brought up a few other movies that I wanted to mention. She said Legally Blonde is a great example. When Harry Met Sally. Oh, that's a good one. And then one. for all the TCM fans out there, she brought up the Vivian Leigh streetcar named Desire. I want to say Marlon Brando's in that one, too, but I could be wrong. And I, I'm glad she brought up Legally Blonde, because even though I haven't seen that since elementary school, that's very much, if I remember correctly, it's a movie about you know a woman pursuing law school to impress her ex-boyfriend. And right. then she kind of realizes he's trash and ends up pursuing a legit law career. So shout out to Elle Woods. That's that's nice. pretty cool. Isn't there a musical based off of that too? Actually, who am I saying? There is a musical based off. Oh, of the, it, yes, for there sure. is. It's supposed to be really good too. Okay, final answer I have, and then I'll let one of you guys take over the reins. I asked my wife what she thought of this question. <laughs> My wife's not much of a movie person, even though she'll Ironically. praise Parasite every day and night. <laughs> <laughs> She's still bitter. We only put it at number 20. <laughs> no, but my wife um, wanted to give Hulu's Pen15 a shout-out. It's technically a television show, not a movie. But considering I've seen all of the season, I, I'm okay with that answer. It's basically this... I think even Wikipedia calls it this. It's like a very cringy comedy... It's created by Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, and in it, Maya and Anna, it's about their kind of middle school years. It's set in 2000, but what makes the show unique and very strange is these two women who are in their 30s now play their middle school selves using, like, really advanced makeup, and all the other actors in middle school are actually middle schoolers, and it's a very strange, very funny show. Wow. But it's very much like... This is like women in middle school. This is the awkwardness of middle school from a very female perspective. So I'm glad my wife gave that a shout out. And what's Dang. the, it's can good. you say the name of it one more time? So think very hard. The name is Pen15. I don't get it. That's okay, Colin. Hey, Colin. <laughs> Colin. Hey, Colin. Yeah, Colin. yeah what's up? It's penis. Oh, <laughs> Like man. Ben Foster, baby. <laughs> I should have. Now I feel really, man, it, it's a good thing I'm the podcast resident dum-dum. <laughs> we all need hey, one. Hey, you worry. might be a dum-dum, but you're our dum-dum. <laughs> Amen. Amen, I'm a dum-dum. Anyway. Those, those were the movies, shows that came up when I, you know, did a little research homework. And I'm glad they did because I think, you know, there's something out there for listeners who may be interested in those films or have already seen them and wanted them to get a shout-out. Caleb, would you like to go next as far as our little feminist assignment goes? Sure. So one of my friends that I got to hear from, I spent a lot of time in undergrad with her in various organizations. When I first posed the question to her, the first thing that came to her mind was actress Saoirse Ronan. 
stars in Lady Bird, and I believe she's in Little Woman as well, although I haven't she seen She is. Her. She's Joe Marsh, yeah. Okay, great. A.K.A. the ultimate feminist character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she definitely thought that she has done the best job at that, um, both in film and the stories that she's in and how she acts and is portrayed, um, or, or, or rather the, the characters that is portrayed in both outside a film too just the way she lives her life is a very is one that's very much like advocating for like women to be represented well in film nice nice okay now caleb you and i also kind of going aside a little bit but you and i saw portrait of a lady on fire earlier this year before corona hit right yep you know thinking about that film how many men were actually in that movie (laughs) there was like Maybe one, maybe one, and, and he had like less really than a minute. Yeah, yeah. Wait, <laughs> no, I, I was what? thinking about that. Have you heard of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Colin? No, I haven't. But how do you not count the man? Like, what do you mean by that? Like he has less than thirty seconds of screen time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't okay. really have much dialogue at all. Got yeah. it. That makes a lot. And, more and sense. that's a film that's that's gotten quite a bit of acclaim, and a lot of the letterbox yeah. guys and gals out there are giving that film a lot of love. Right. I think it even got an Oscar nom for best foreign film, but Parasite, of course, had to squash it. <laughs> yeah, damn. That was a film I thought a lot about when thinking about this question. But do you think Colin would like that movie, Caleb? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> wow. I feel like this soundbite is going to be taken out of context, and tomorrow we're going to wake up and there's going to be an article about me on like BuzzFeed. Yeah, says, <laughs> it's going to be trending like, on Twitter. Se- yeah. <laughs> Sexist person on unheard of podcast doesn't like <laughs> movies because they have women in them. No, no, no. I, I was saying you wouldn't like it because it's a very slow burn, which is oh, funny because it's a yeah, portrait of like yeah. on fire. <laughs> yeah, and it's in French, so you got to read the subtitle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, oh. Anyways, Colin, not. we need to stop dogging on you. Colin, what'd you bring to the assignment for today? Well, <clears throat> what I had done was uh, I talked to uh, my wife uh, just kind of in the car today a little bit about uh, a couple different things, and she also had to kind of rack her brain a little bit to like think about what a movie uh, or which movie she was going to or she could relate to. And her and I, I mean, we recently had watched Lady Bird just kind of like uh, Caleb was talking about. She's like, this movie is my mother and I's relationship. Like, this is it. Like, it's real. Like, this is how we interact with each other. And having known both of them and... Anyway. Yes, that's how they (laughs) interact. That's totally how they interact with each other. It's just all like that. Uh, So as far as the real, the realistic portrayal, uh, she said that's probably one of the most real films... Uh, in terms of how women behave that she that she got on board with. Nice. Very nice. And I talked to my sister, like, literally, like, 30 minutes before we started recording. You know? But better better last minute than, you know, turning in late, right? <laughs> yeah, right? No, no shame. It, it, it got done, you know? That's the important part. That's what, That's all what my Caleb s- does with our feature films every <laughs> week. <laughs> right? He watches them the day of we record. <laughs> hey, you know we'll what? We'll talk about that in a second. Oh, yeah. I bet it, anyway... But he, <laughs> she was, uh, my sister Megan was telling me, shout out to Megan, now she's going to be an avid listener, soon to be avid listener of the podcast. Very nice. 
she uh she was telling me uh her her perspective is different from Catherine's insofar as like my sister is definitely more conservative and Catherine is definitely more uh left leaning so like they differ in that regard which i didn't think about until literally just now so that's actually kind of rad boom nice but uh what my sister had said uh she didn't have a whole lot of time so she was kind of again just like talking talk, talk saying off the top of her head um the films that she really enjoys and really likes uh one of them was anna and the king the I don't remember what year, but it's the Chow Yun Fat one, the new one that's not a musical. It came out in, I'm almost positive, 2000. It was the late 90s it came out, or maybe early 2000s. I feel like, I, I want to say 2004, but that's too late. It can't be 2004. So I'm going to go with what Jack just said and say sometime around then. Uh, back when Chow Yun Fat was sexy. Uh, I guess he still is. Is Chow Yun Fat sexy still? We respect Chow Yun Cat. On, I mean, Chow Yun Fat on this uh, podcast. <laughs> He's a cool cat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Jack, is, is this another Caleb? Caleb, it's this another genital joke. Oh my god! No, no, wait, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, I literally, I read a review of Keddy once where somebody was talking about their cat Chow Yun Cat, and I thought that was a good name. <laughs> Colin, go back to your sister. Keep. keep okay, sorry. Don't okay. Get distracted. My. <laughs> My sister, uh, Anna and the King, so she admits, like, historical pieces are kind of her big, like, that's her favorite type of movie. So the other nice, movie that nice. she's talking about is The Other Boleyn Girl. So, but Anna and the Scar King. Scar Joe's in that one, right? I think. Uh, I could be wrong. Natalie Portman's in it. I know that. Okay, okay. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't know. I've never seen, I've never seen The Other Boleyn Girl. I have seen Anna and the King. Uh, but she basically talks about it, like, from... Not necessarily realist. This is these fall more in the positive instead of the mm-hmm. realistic category. Okay. And kind of for both of them, she respects like Anna, for example, is an example uh, in Anna and the King of how there weren't options uh, that women had, uh, and she exaggerated that point more in the other Boleyn girl. But, like, pretty much the reason that Anna ended up having to move to Siam, you know, current-day Thailand, and and do what she did was because her husband died, and her options were, like, basically teach abroad or, you know, she didn't – that was it. Like, teach abroad, maybe become a teacher somewhere, but, like, she wasn't going to make enough to support, like, herself and her son uh, and, like, their servant and all of that. So she, like, had to uproot her life, move to Siam – and then she ended up instituting a lot of positive change, and technically, this is based off of a real person with quite a few, quite a few embellishments. Obviously, you know, because movie and yeah, musical yeah. and all that. But like, even so, even so, she was saying that it has a very uh, positive. If she can do it, you can do it. Type of theme, girl power moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then in the other Boleyn girl, she just said that it <clears> high <throat> that I've never seen it, so I, I I don't know. But she's she said she does like the book a whole lot better <laughs> than she does the movie. Uh, but it's about essentially two sisters of the same family, both of whom uh, at one point were like involved with the king, and 
One of them basically, instead of trying to marry up in society, married someone who was lower class than they were uh, and fell in love and did all this stuff after she had her relationship with the king. And then the other one ended up staying with the king. And basically it's uh, kind of showing how like a masculine high up figure, like as high up as you can go. In this case, it's a king. Uh, but she said it could be a stand-in for, you know, an executive or uh, your boss or, you know, something like that. Uh, no, I like the example of using, like, these kind of feminist undertones in films about literal, like, hierarchies, you know, kings or lords mm-hmm. or whatever. Because right. that is very much this kind of a—it might be specific to a certain time period, but it does have this broad overview of, oh, men are in charge, men are the leaders, and women are subservient of that— Mm-hmm. So there's kind of this argument made of, you know, we need to talk about the good there and how, you know, women overcame that and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, more or less, that's that's what Megan said in the sense that, you know, obviously she's like, well, these are movies. So how her I find it I found it funny because she was like, how realistic can they be? They're movies. And I was like, uh, you know, I guess. <laughs> but she said, uh. She basically she liked the positive messages that they that spoke to her as as a, a female uh, in in those two films, and, and that almost in some ways it kind of reminds me of the classic. I've talked about the Wachowskis a bit on this podcast before, but this kind of idea of there are certain themes that can sometimes be universal, and yeah. even before like the Wachowskis came out, you know, as trans women and became Lily and Lena, a lot of, like, trans audiences really identified with The Matrix and were really, you know, uplifted by those movies. So it's definitely a conversation we're going to continue to have on this podcast. If anything, this is just more of a short kind of entryway as we talk about it. I don't know about you two, but as I talk to women in my life about these movies, I definitely feel like, as a guy, sometimes I have a little bit more authority talking about the dangers of masculinity, especially toxic masculinity, in regards to film, just because mm-hmm. I am a guy and have a little bit more yeah. experience there. But no, ever since Colin brought up like the Wes Anderson, Isla Dogs, female perspective conversation, it's definitely a good ball to keep rolling as we create content and work on our podcast. So gentlemen, thank you for bringing these you know, topics to the table. Yeah, man, it was a good... One of one of the best homework assignments I've ever encountered. <laughs> and you're twenty or twenty seven years. Twenty twenty six years. Twenty six. Thank you years. very much. I'm not old. <laughs> I'm yeah, young that's me still. and Catherine. <laughs> oh, that's right, Jack. That's right. Yeah, I'm the twenty seven year old. <laughs> Let's I got go. You switched. Old man. You're good. I'm an old man. I'm Jack. That's a terrible old man voice. I think what I meant to do is more like this. I'm an old man. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next segment, kiddos. I'm going to get my cane out. So this next segment is Too Lazy to Check Letterbox, the part where you think, what are the guys watching? Well, you don't have to check because we're going to tell you. Amen, baby. So, Colin, Caleb, what's a movie you've been watching lately? You know, we're, we're going to talk about Hunt for the Wilder People later, but what, what's a little something else as an added bonus you want to tell the tell the folks your thoughts on? So for better or worse, I've been watching a lot of James Franco recently. Nice, nice. (laughs) Always for better. Never for for worse. (laughs) Spring break. (laughs) (laughs) One of the films I watched recently was called The Adderall Diaries, which came out in 2015. 
which is starring James Franco. Amber Heard is also in this. I don't know if y'all know who she is. And yeah, Johnny Depp's ex-wife. <laughs> oh, really? Speaking of toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ed Ed Harris is also in it. Oh yeah, I love Ed Harris. He's cool. So this is actually based off the memoir of uh, Stephen Elliott, who, to give you a short description of the movie, actually, it kind of follows Stephen Elliott as he as he reaches this low point in in his life in uh, in his career. Uh, he had a pretty troubled tra- childhood, and his father, who he had written books about and sold books and made mo- lots of money off of, his father, who he'd written to be dead, actually appears. Oh wow! He causes trouble, and they, and so it kind of follows his his him spiraling, kind of out, out of control, going back to a big Adderall addiction, and then you kind of see how he comes out of that. So it's a really powerful story about Stephen Elliott. I would highly highly recommend it. It is currently on Netflix. Nice. Do, do you remember who like directed it or anything like that? I don't know how to say the the director's name. So it's well, there I guess I guess her last name. So it's Pamela Romanowski. I think that's the best way I can say it. That okay. Sounds okay. Cool. Like I would have heard it somewhere before. So seems to be seems to check out. Yeah. Nice. And, and what year was this set in? Was this 2015? Like, oh, no, no, but, but like in? this film is set in. Yeah. Ooh, I can't remember. I think it was. It could have been early on in like the 2000s, if I'm right. So like Breaking Bad, present day ish type time period, if that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. What? Because it's never. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. Because it's never explicitly said in Breaking Bad, like, when it uh, takes place. You're yeah. just supposed to assume that it's, like, sometime between, like, 2000 and 2016, like. Yeah. So it's based off Stephen Elliott's mem- 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 memoir. Ah, can't say that word. Um, memoir. So I'm not sure how how the movie ad- adapted it whether they said it present day time intentionally or if it was, I mean, if it's based on his life and it's actually happened a while ago. Okay. Here's something interesting, Caleb. I just looked this film up on letterbox. Okay. It is a 2.4 average yeah. rating. I started to say, but Jack, we're too lazy to check letterbox. That's the whole That's freaking right. That's point. That's the whole point of the segment. <laughs> well, I was like, this film sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard of it, but I can't remember from where. And then I remember a lot of people like dog on this movie for some reason, but I can't, I can't remember why. <laughs> Interesting. Caleb, you're like one of the two people I know who've seen it. It has only 3K people logged it, so go get go get yourself some street cred. Go log Adderall Diary. I, I will, there is a scene in this movie where James Franco just leaves an argument with his father. Oh, boy. And he has his sunglasses on, and you can tell the expression on his, on his face. And, like, you can tell. Like, he is so in character. I think James Franco might be one of, like, the living legends of like actors today like he's that good a thousand percent uh i just wish he would keep it in his pants at high school parties <laughs> ouch <laughs> nice hey he was harry osborne you know anyone in sam ramney's uh spider-man gotta respect, gotta respect. yeah right that's <laughs> yeah. why we respect him nothing else he's ever done <laughs> just just yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I, I figured out why this film sounded familiar to uh, me. I okay. think it was like there are a lot of like t- 
Timothy Chalamet fanboys and fangirls who um, <laughs> were like, after Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird came out around the same time, they were obsessing over him. Mm-hmm. And I think they logged this movie like, I'll do anything for Timmy, even watch this crap. Yeah. <laughs> but Caleb's oh here to gosh. say it's not bad, right, Caleb? Absolutely. It's definitely worth a watch. But it's not for the faint of heart, I will say that. So prepare yourself for something intense and dramatic. Nice, very nice. Well, Caleb, any, any other thoughts, or should we pass it on to, to good old Colin? Good old Colin. This is me on Skype. I'm passing it on to good Gotta old catch Colin. catch that baton, Colin. <laughs> oh, he's, he's ready. Let's go. Woo. <laughs> oh. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, got it. Okay. So the movie I watched, I actually watched with Caleb. <gasps> Gasp. <gasps> Whoa. Whoa. That that that's Shout actually out allowed to Caleb now? for not stealing <laughs> yeah. Collins' movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes, bruh. Yeah, he had the the patience. It's, it's been a busy week, like a busy like since the last time we recorded. So actually, it's almost I like he got married or that. something. Yeah, <laughs> like it was actually a big deal that he didn't take my movie. Everybody. <laughs> so, thank you for that, Kale. <laughs> that this is my wedding gift to Colin. <laughs> <laughs> he actually spit on That's me amazing. at the ceremony. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what was going through his head. Anyway, so the movie I wanted to talk about is a movie that I love, but I was reminded uh, recently of how much I love it. Uh, and it's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? By the good old Conan Brothers. Nope, that's not right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that is a Conan Brothers film. Yeah, You're right. Don't, yeah, don't Wait, shake your Colin, head. Did at you me, say Caleb. did you say Cohen or Conan? I don't know what I said. I got the basic <laughs> syllables right. Sure. Well, we'll just give it to you. So Conan O'Brien and his brother made this movie. Uh, really, that was a no reaction from either of you. That was a hilarious joke that I just said. Uh-huh. I, honestly, I'm I, laughing so hard. I completely it hurts missed it. so hard I'm laughing. <laughs> I hate both of you. Okay, <laughs> so we watched Our Brother Where Art Thou, right? Obviously, totally based off the Odyssey. Uh, the more times you watch it, the more, uh, especially if you're like a Greek buff, Greek, you know, if you're a buff Greek person, uh, you can really tune into this movie. Some of the stuff that they do to capture just that story is so unique to me like i don't it's something that you just like i feel like undertaking like a greek like a big story like that like anytime someone like think of the movie like troy uh with brad right, Pitt, right. or like like anytime you undertake like a, a story that scopes that epically like has that much space in it and that much you know, mythology surrounding I mean, these it. stories, they kind of originated the whole idea of the epic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And this is one of those films that just captures it in a really, really unique way. George Clooney delivers an excellent performance. There's some of the funniest things you'll ever see in this movie. Like the whole, uh, his mama, his mama, R-U-N-N-O-F-T. And then the kid <laughs> breaks into the flaming barn with a car and he's like come on y'all we got a r-u-n-n-o-f-t like it's incredible (laughs) such big laughs such great acting such great just shot composition and don't forget about the soundtrack ladies and gentlemen such a good soundtrack got a grammy winning soundtrack that one best album the grammys so it's wacky what a what a film what a cool crisp and it's not too heavy it's like a it's it's like a it's the it's the wheat thins of movies. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Has anybody Ooh, ever nice. like 
gotten like a wheat thin and put like a like a little bit of like hummus and maybe a tomato on it. Oh, so refreshing. <laughs> That's this movie. That was Colin's quick uh, snack segment where he shares his favorite <laughs> snack of the week. <laughs> I've been really into wheat thins lately. <laughs> Marriage does crazy things to you boys. <laughs> Really I have does. something embarrassing to admit. Oh, nice. Have you never seen a Brother oh, Wright, I've though? never seen I've seen clips of a Brother Wright, though, but I haven't actually seen it yet. And I like the uh, Conan Brothers, so I need to change oh, that. Oh, man. That's a... I, well, I don't want to say it's right up your alley, but it's, but it's definitely something that you should watch, for sure. No, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely... I, I plan to check it out. And it's one of those films, like, I, I've only heard good things about, and even, even some of the more cynical, like film lovers i know enjoy it so yeah i mean i want to say roger deakins did the cinematography he did uh 1917 and uh i talked about him with a uh, blade runner 2049 and he's a great cinematographer so i'm, I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful looking film oh it absolutely is oh beautiful jack it's, yeah. it's definitely worth your time you won't yeah you won't be mad at us for saying that you should watch this movie. That goes for Jack and for everybody. Like, Hey, maybe we'll cover it for a feature length one of ooh. these days for, for an episode. <laughs> maybe. That's another thing I like about this segment is kind of previewing ideas we can generate and how we want to corrupt our co-host with the movies we watch. <laughs> corrupt? Oh, well, are speak- you, luckily for me, I'm immune to all forms of corruption. <laughs> he rolled very high in... He- Immunity to corruption. <laughs> <laughs> when we rolled our D and D sheets for the characters we were going to play on the podcast, <laughs> I was I rolled real low in intelligence and real high <laughs> in that one trait. <laughs> well, you win some, you lose some. So, this week for my entry in too lazy to log on Letterbox. I'm going to talk about the 1966 film directed by Kiachi Okamoto. This is Sword of Doom. This is a film set in the 1860s. I believe it's called the Bakumatsu period of Japan, where Japan was kind of in the state of like transitioning from feudal lords into a more like modern empire. As the title suggests, it's very much a samurai movie about a really ruthless swordsman who's kind of navigating the world of, like, amoral mercenaries in Japan. And it's very much a story about madness, and we have kind of follow our main character's descent into madness. Have either of you two heard of this film? It's from the 60s. It's I only heard about it because it's on Criterion, so... <laughs> as, <laughs> no as per the usual, Jack, no. Yeah. <laughs> Colin has not heard of this movie. <laughs> I, I'm honored, I'm honored. <laughs> He says that every time. <laughs> Some things just never change. We're, we're starting to get into our gimmicks, our ways. <laughs> yes. But, you know, this film, Sword of Doom, it's very much like anti-hero cinema. But unlike a lot of films about, you know, the protagonist being the bad guy, where, you know, you kind of have the Walter White scenario where they start out as, like, a relatively decent individual and then kind of slowly dive into villainy. Mm-hmm. This movie from the get-go understands that our samurai, our ronin, is, like, a bad, bad dude. Because he basically just, like, murders an innocent, old, nice man, like, in cold blood and never justifies it, never explains it. And that's just how the movie opens. It's pretty intense. Wow. 
that that is really intense. It sounds really good though. Oh, it's based from your description. Honestly, it. guys, it's it's phenomenal. Like great, great movie. I wanted to watch this movie for two reasons. One, George Lucas was always really into a lot of like Japanese cinema and a lot right. of samurai films. Mm-hmm. So you know, I got I love Star Wars. I love Lucas. I got to follow the roots. So I've always been interested in samurai movies. And then I've also been playing a lot of Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Oh, so, God bless you. Nice. You're a stronger nice. stronger man than me. After you talked about it the other day, I, I whipped it out and played for about 30 minutes and said, no. Oh, it's so <laughs> hard. If we ever do a Let's Play channel, we got to play it. It's so good. Yeah. Me, me and Caleb were just talking about this. It's like, bro, what if we did like an episode where we just talked about video games that that's not that, ooh, I like this. I like this a lot. <laughs> Genuine inspiration. We just incepted ourselves. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> no, I think what you mean is. <laughs> oh yeah, the Inception reference. Caleb's favorite film of the 2000s. Oh yeah. Everyone knows ooh. Caleb's favorite film from the 2000s. <laughs> not to get cut off from Sword of Doom, but you know, thinking of one masterpiece to another, going from Sword of Doom to the Social Network, I keep thinking mm. back to like. You know, Caleb putting that as his favorite film of the decade. And honestly, Caleb... I said Caleb. Honestly, Colin, if Social Network was in our 40 list, there's no way I would have let Inception beat it. <laughs> you kind of got lucky there, my friend. <laughs> okay. First of all... First of all, you're undermining the save system, Jack, with that. No, nah, never How? Mind. Yeah, and you're, you're undermining right. the 2v1 system, my friend. Caleb and I would have come at you like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, we would have come at you like Army Hammer to Jesse Eisenberg in the social network. <laughs> Caleb's Ornstein, I'm Smo, and Colin's yeah. the Dark Souls hero. <laughs> Joke's on you. I've never world. died to Ornstein and Smo. What's wrong with you? <laughs> He's a hardcore gamer girl. Watch yeah. out, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. What was that noise? <laughs> it's my gamer girl noise. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really do want to talk about Sword of Doom because it's a phenomenal film. Definitely masterpiece status. Highly, highly, highly recommend. It's a really nice to see a film where kind of the skill of the swordsman in the film is also reflected in the craft of the form. I mean, those filmmakers with the cinematography and how they frame the camera. It looks beautiful. This is a great-looking film. And the way they do the edit, too, is great. They cut from a lot of cool, like, wide shots of samurais getting ready to fight and swordsmen going at it. And then they'll cut to these close-up POVs from, like, a character's perspective. And then they'll do the classic, like, you know, Sergio Leone cut to the real close-ups on the eyes as they're about ready to draw their sword. It just... It stages a really cool intensity to these fights and to the action that I really, really loved as a fan of cinema. So that was a lot of fun. And, and if I'm being honest, when it comes to films I watched for the first time in 2020, this one's up there. This is definitely like mm. probably the top five best films I've watched the past like six, seven months. Nice. Interesting. That's exciting. That is really exciting. Now the bad news is, for my dear Colin, this film is one in black and white, two uh, in uh, Japanese. Uh, <laughs> How can I? So watch? I'm gonna give. <laughs> Never mind. I'm gonna give Colin and our viewers a bonus <coughs> shout out to a five part YouTube series that's free to watch. Go check it out right away about MMA fighting. It's called Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. Like Sword oh, of Doom, this is also about very violent men settling, you know, their scores 
their existential traumas with the world around them through the violence means of competition that men partake in. This one's not about samurai eyes, though. This is about the history of MMA. It's a five-part docu-series on YouTube by um, SB Nation director John Boyce, I think is how you pronounce his name. And then it is written and narrated by a gentleman named Felix Biederman from a the real famous leftist podcast, Chapo House. And Chapo House. This is a very strong documentary. It's kind of like a big Prezi where they take a lot of the moving the image around to show you different parts of graphs mm, to show you the history of MMA fighting. I hate That's Prezi. actually pretty cool. <laughs> Colin, you'll like this, Any, though. It's This uh, is totally no, it. Caleb, you'll like this, too. I'm sure I would like it, but I hate Prezi. So that was another little... I guess you can log it on Letterboxd, so I wanted to give it a shout-out. Fighting in the Age of Loneliness on YouTube. And then Sword of Doom. You know, very different films, but they both hit on some good themes I enjoyed. One's documentary. One's kind of a more classical fiction. One's got samurai swords. One's about a bunch of people beating the snot out of each other while talking about, like, economic crises and lies presidents give us. So I, I would recommend both these. These these little these little items I've presented today and yeah that's my entry for today's logging on letterbox. <laughs> I have a I have a well never mind. No what's up Colin? No no, no seriously like just cut this out. <laughs> I changed no, my mind about what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh I, the curiosity's gonna eat at me. <laughs> I was gonna say something along the lines of like I feel like someone's gonna talk a bunch of shit about Bush but I'm not gonna I don't want. Oh, Bush that. is not alone in this documentary. There, there's some, there's some good like anti, you know, president rhetoric from the past three, four decades in this documentary. It's pretty good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, I think you will both really like fighting the age of loneliness if you want to give it a fighting check. Interesting. And because it's a five-part documentary, like you can mm-hmm. watch it one part at a time. Yeah. Oh, I'm plus like I love. I'm I'm gonna love it already like i already know i'm gonna love it plus like i don't know the the history of mma for me was a lot more intriguing than i thought it would be because i'm not really invested in mma at all but after watching this documentary i was like man like okay i see mma okay cool cool oh yeah it's it's pretty it's kind of cool y'all heard about fight island or what's it called Anyway. That's a good name. I hope it's called Fight Island, whatever you're about to talk they're, about. They're going to, the MMA, or, the, or not the MMA, the UFC is going to buy an island, and they're going to call it Fight Island, where they don't have to adhere to, like, corona policy. Oh. So, <laughs> that, so that they can, like, fight. So they can fight people. Anyway. Wow. That's really interesting. Nice, nice. Well, speaking of fighting, it's time for the three of us. To talk about our feature film. Let's ba, ba, go. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, last time we recorded, I had a very different opinion about Isle of Dogs than Caleb and Colin. I think oh, you both gave true. it five stars, and then I ruined it. <laughs> yes, you did. You brought down the average, my dude. It's terrible. Well, now, let's now see if that happens. <laughs> five, five, what was it? Five plus five plus two. two. Twelve divided by three is... Four. It's only a four-star film now. That's Jack. still pretty good. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm not mad about that. And, and I actually have some good acceptable. news. At the end of this episode, I'm going to introduce a new segment where I might have some good news about Isle of Dogs. But we'll we'll talk about that Ooh. when we get to the end of the episode. For now, so you're going to do that every episode? 
You have a new segment. <laughs> we just keep adding new good. segments. <laughs> this is the show. It just keeps growing. You know, keep watering the podcast. <laughs> yeah. New segments keep coming up. Colin will have Wrestle Talk next week. Bruh, Caleb's gonna have a philosophy don't, segment. Don't even talk to me about. Ooh. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm I'm saying it right now, Colin. I approve of Wrestle Talk on this podcast Bruh, after my WWE, MMA doc. Okay, I don't know if this is gonna go on the podcast or not, but I but since you brought this up, I had the most bizarre dream recently where I was back in high school and Vince McMahon, like Vincent Kennedy McMahon was my, was my econ teacher. And, (laughs) and it was wacky. It was wild. (laughs) This concludes today's segment of Colin dreams of wrestlers. (laughs) He's not even a wrestler. He's, the or, owner. <laughs> of the- oh, that's right. Jack, but, but better yet, th- this concludes Colin reading a, a, a short snippet from from his dream journal <laughs> every episode. There you go. There you go. Tune in next week to find out. Yeah. No, but um, to find out what I made our- in that class. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Let's talk about our main feature today. We're talking about Taika Waititi's 2016 film Hunt for the Wilder People. First of all, let me just say, what a freaking movie. I love, 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 like, as in this movie is probably my third favorite movie ever now. Like, I love this movie. Dang. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Colin, open us up with first impressions. You watched this for the first time, like, yesterday, right? Yeah, yesterday, yeah, just yesterday during the day. Wow. Um, First of all, I'll just talk about... All this is in my review on Letterboxd, but we're going to dive into some more deep stuff. But, like, first of all, I think uh, a film that is filmed in New Zealand from this point forward should have, like, a cinematography, like, asterisk next to it. Minus 10 points for being filmed in New Zealand because it's, like, a crutch. Because it's New like Zealand, an advantage. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, an advantage. Exactly. Like, New Zealand is so beautiful that, like, I I could go there and film a movie with zero experience, and someone will be like, "Oh, hey, at least the cinematography is good." <laughs> like, <laughs> just add in a bunch of sweeping shots. Now, uh, anyway, but oh god, it, it like it looks beautiful. It's freaking hilarious. Like some of the funniest stuff I've seen in a movie. Uh, in a long time uh god it's it's very quotable uh it's very charming it's very uh man i think what i said in my review was this movie is the last word in charming so anyway well we're gonna let you explain that more later caleb why don't you tell us a little bit about your initial thoughts to the film which you just watched a few hours ago (laughs) yeah playing chicken (laughs) with these movies and our scheduling (laughs) No, I, I'm really digging this. I don't think I'm going to do this every time, but I'm really digging coming fresh off of a viewing experience into a discussion about it. I think that's a really positive – that can offer a pretty positive perspective. That's what I told Jack a while back, and he was like, I don't know. <laughs> so my my first impression of this movie was, like, damn, Taika Waititi, like, knows how to shoot, like, scenes. He knows how to – like create character relationships and and these different dynamics and tensions on a screen 
and I I I think he is like in a hundred years when they're studying film history, like Taika Waititi is going to be a big part of the 2010s, 2020s, and however much more he does. I mean, he's got that new Star Wars film under yeah, his belt, so he's probably going to be relevant for a long time. <laughs> absolutely. Um, He'll probably beat Trevor O. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will. <laughs> wait, is that can, just wait, just so I'm clear? Can you imagine. Wait, oh, go ahead. Is that the, that's the solo guy, right? No, no, that's the guy who got fired from Episode Nine, who did Jurassic World. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that guy. He also sucks. did the masterpiece that is Book of Henry. <laughs> Oh, shout out to Book of Henry. Yikes. <laughs> For real. Big yikes. <laughs> Never seen it, but I just assume that I won't like it. it Book of Henry might be one we have to cover title. on this podcast when it oh, comes to it, films that like are that controversial. <laughs> oh, like it's that bad? <laughs> it's it's bad in a way that's amazing. Like it's very entertaining to watch because mm. it's, it's mm-hmm. made by it's people who might be psychopaths. <laughs> 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 Which is part of the reason why I think Trevor Rowe got fired from episode nine. That, interesting. That is actually is very interesting. My initial reaction of a uh, Hunt for Wilder People. I first watched this film back in early 2017 because the Thor Ragnarok trailer just came out, and I was like, you know, like I liked what we do in the shadows. I want to check out some of uh, TW's other work. So I gave Hunt for the Wilder People a little watch. And at the time, I remember really enjoying it. But now on this rewatch last week. Because I watched, let me let me back up a little bit. So I watched Hunt for Wilder People, and then about six, seven months later, watched Thor Ragnarok. And like Caleb, I'm not super hung up on Thor Ragnarok. I think it's it's fine. Like, it's not a bad movie, but it's it just didn't really impress me in the way it impressed a lot of people. What a film. <laughs> Colin, I know you're a big fan. <laughs> Filmmaking Thor- perfection. <laughs> Boom. So... I kind of went into this rewatch of Hunt for Wilder People with that mindset of, oh, I like this more than Thor Ragnarok. But honestly, on a rewatch of Hunt for Wilder People, I'm kind of reevaluating my take on Thor Ragnarok, which I'm excited to dive into on this episode because I think there's a certain way the humor and tone of the films work very differently from each other, but they're very clearly from mm. the same mind. Like sure. the same creator, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. I can get behind that statement. Like you're saying that Taika Waititi is at his Taiki Waititiest at in these movies. Y- yes and no. I feel like there's kind of a the the setup in the storylines and the comedy at play works very differently, even though it's a very similar style of comedy based off of a story about. A young boy and an older man working together versus mythic like superheroes in space. Oh, okay. Hmm. But we'll talk about that more in the, as we enter this discussion question portion of our discussion of Hunt for the Little People. Colin, would you like to open us up with a discussion question? I actually would. So one of the questions that I was research kind of I came across and just doing some research for today. Uh, the question I came or that I came across or that I kind of developed was, what do you think of like what do you think when you hear the term indie film? Is it negative? Is it positive? Is it neutral? Somewhere in the middle? And then like, how do you compare an indie an indie film 
with a mainstream movie, does the indie film get graded on a curve or does the mainstream movie get graded on a curve? Like, well, that's kind of what I'm thinking, like, like my initial thing for you guys. So your question is kind of like, d- does Hunt for Wilder People spark a conversation about like what it means to be an independent cine flick or something? N- no, my my question more has to do with the way like we as viewers like or maybe it's just like the average person or just y'all's perspective on the term indie film like whenever you say oh Mm. i went and saw we'll use hunt for the wilder people i went and saw hunt for the wilder people it's an indie film to someone who's never seen hunt for the wilder people does that create a good taste in their mouth a bad taste in their mouth does it matter is kind of what I'm asking. Does the term like doesn't do independent films have a advantage or disadvantage in like the zeitgeist among people? I'll let Caleb go first on that. That's a really good question. I think it does. You think- and I think it could go either way. Like I think it could be a positive thing or a negative thing. Okay. It depends on the the individual that reacts to you saying oh i just saw this independent film done by yeah TV. the individual <laughs> <laughs> jack wow jack you know what to do go run a lap bye-bye Woo. Wow, that was so that fast. was jack's one pun that he got to use for the episode <laughs> for the Come whole back next for week the whole for podcast one. yeah <laughs> anyway. um yeah so I, I think it really depends on on the individual and how they feel about indie films versus the mainstream and what that means for the movie and their opinion on viewing and something like that. Right. And, and maybe I was afraid of this when I came up with the question, because I think that we like we on this podcast have our own ideas about like what an independent film means or the, or the connotation that surrounds it. And maybe I'm because we're not average moviegoers. We don't necessarily have that insight as to what like a normal person thinks. Like when they're sitting in a like when they're sitting in a movie theater, uh, waiting to see I don't know what's a movie Alita Battle Angel or something like that <laughs> to reference something. And we and they see like an A twenty four trailer that gets which a, that's a bad example because A24 yeah. I, I hardly even consider them indie anymore. Ooh, good. Good. I like where this is going. Like, Keep going, Colin. But but maybe they are a good example. Like I feel like the barrier for entry for A24 films for the average person now is much 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 lower than it used to be, for sure. I'm getting way off track, but it, the heart of the question really is like do you think that the term indie film Again, like what what kind of bag like what baggage does that come with? What whether it's good or bad baggage. I can I go ahead, Caleb? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, go oh, for I'm it, not Jack. Caleb. Yes. Caleb. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've said my piece about it. See, I would argue that independent and like art house, they kind of have these not stigmatisms, but there's always no, no, going to be no, this no, conversation. No, 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 no. Stigmas, not astigmatisms like in your eye. <laughs> Oh, awkward. (laughs) I'll just go run another lap real quick. (laughs) So I think there's this, like, conversation piece about art and the different entryways to who can talk about art. And I think this isn't really limited to film. So, for example, indie music's a big thing. In the early 90s, 
this little guy called Kurt Cobain got his band Nirvana, and they had a really big hit, and all of a sudden what was once called indie music was topping all the charts. But then when people asked Kurt Cobain, like, oh, how do you feel about being defined as indie, he was all like, I don't know. We're not like the Meat Puppets or anything. We're not really that scene that the Pixies were once dominating. And I kind of like Cobain's logic, this idea of, you know, in a way... When Spring Breakers came out in 2013, no one knew who A24 was, but now everyone knows what A24 is. Right. So it's almost this argument that indie is weird because it's always going to be kind of ever-changing as far as the cultural conversation around media. And I think I'm glad we're bringing this up with Hunt for the Wilder People because I would argue that, you know, no one really knew who Taika Waititi was five ten years ago but now everyone knows who he is sure yeah because of i would argue because of like uh thor ragnarok wouldn't y'all say like that's yeah the, that the and biggest... the mandalorian now the mandal oh because he did an episode he worked on yeah he, yeah, worked he on did the mandalorian. i mean that's probably the reason he has the new star wars film on yeah. his belt okay and even that... jojo rabbit won an oscar best adapted yeah. screenplay jojo so... rabbit's it's a big deal He's kind of winning different levels of cred all around the film industry. Okay. So, going back to Colin's original question, because I don't necessarily know if I answered it properly <laughs> or as adequately as he would have liked, I think in a lot of ways, indie is always going to be used as this kind of conversation barrier about who can talk about what types of art. So, my favorite example of this is in college, I am... <laughs> You know, a very interesting individual who had much stronger and deeper film t- taste than I did. I'm just going to refer to him as Mr. G. <laughs> but one time I was hanging out with my friend Zane, and he knew Mr. G. And we were going through, like, the library's catalog of movies. And he found Paul w- uh, I WS Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights in our collection at the library. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Mr. G once told me, you start out watching all the Marvel films, every film that's in theaters, and then you go check out all the 90s indie movies, and then after you're cool enough for that, you go check out Criterion films. And he held up Boogie Nights, and he goes, this is one of those films that we all loved in high school, but we now know is trash. <laughs> and I kind of wow. think about that with, like, wait, indie movies. Wait a what? second. That can't be right. I've heard what? nothing but positive things about Boogie Nights. Okay, Boogie Nights has a really good Burt Reynolds performance, and the rest of it's just kind of okay. Like, there's some good music numbers in it, like, you know, good soundtrack. Interesting. Okay. You gotta okay. check it out, Colin. You gotta, you gotta check out some more PTA. <laughs> yeah, I guess Rewatch so. Inherit Vice, boy. <laughs> never. Never. <sighs> Th- that movie is right up there with Savages for me, Jack. It is Burton Reynolds. I was right. Sorry, I was doing a little fact check. Yikes, yikes. No, but I do think, like, going back to Colin's original question, indie is one of those things where I think in a lot of ways we define it as, oh, I'm going to watch cooler movies. I'm going to watch indie films. But then you kind of realize that indie films change and their perception and quality about indie films isn't always going to be a static thing. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question right, Colin. I might have just tangented it on (laughs) No, Jack, I think you brought it to a really interesting place, though, because that's an important part of of where Colin was going with, with, with his point. Yeah. I, I was trying to think about it more from, like, a like a, like a dumb-dumb movie-goer perspective. Because, I, 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 in my opinion, I definitely feel like people who don't, aren't, as in, aren't as into film 
definitely, they hear indie and they're like, ugh, who cares? Like, I'm like that to some extent. And I consider, like, mm. and I am definitely not, like, an average, average moviegoer. Whenever I hear someone be like, oh, this new indie film, I'm like, ugh, God. Like, that's that 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 bad taste in, in my mouth that I was talking about. Yeah, because the reality is, is sometimes they just use that term as like, oh, it's I'm calling it indie film because I didn't hurt I hadn't heard of it till someone brought it to my attention. You right, know, you have to do a little bit digger deeping or something. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, as we go into the digital age and you know our connection heightens with our social media online platforms, kind of like this podcast you're listening to now. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, in a way, that kind of heightens that sense of discovery because now it's like Caleb can bring up a film like The Adderall Diaries, which only has 5K views on Letterboxd, and everyone can immediately look it up on the Letterboxd app or on Google and just find out about this film and be like, oh, uh, Timmy's in it. Let's go. Timmy. (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. Okay. That's true. So it's almost like... Well, there's once upon a time, like, Quentin Tarantino released Reservoir Dogs, and everyone's like, wow, who is this Quentin Tarantino guy? This is crazy. Now everyone sees, like, Reservoir Dogs on the IMBD Top 250 or whatever. Right. And it's almost like it's still technically an indie film because in the 90s, that's what it was. Right. But now right. it's such a big part of the cultural conversation, you could almost argue it's not an indie film anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's true. So, And I guess that kind of comes down to like films that get bigger than their I don't want to say budget that's maybe that's not the right word but like films that grow beyond their budget like The Room for instance is a negative mm-hmm. example but like it's mm-hmm. famous even though it costs like negative $8 to make <laughs> <laughs> Well okay fun fact about The Room Part of the reason the room cost a lot of money is because, for some reason, Tommy Wiseau didn't know if he wanted to shoot the film on actual film stock or digital, so he decided yeah, to do he both. Did both. <laughs> Which is such and he, a waste and he, like, of money. He rented it or something, right? Like, he didn't actually buy it, or did, or did he buy it? But but renting still costs money, and like he didn't yeah. have to do that. <laughs> right. Oh, right. it's so freaking Tommy. Yikes. <laughs> Let's do a room episode on these days, guys. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and 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 the disaster artist is another James Franco film I recently watched too, and that like it definitely calls into question what we're talking about here about initial and so tell me t- tell me if I'm wrong, Jack and Colin, about this reading of what y'all are talking about. So I, I'm kind of interpreting it as there's an initial reaction by the by the popular culture at the time of its release, and then there's. Now let's see how it ages. And over time, what was considered indie becomes what you said, really deep in the culture, really deep in the what everyone's talking about. But it but it doesn't all Jack's nodding his head vehemently. Say yeah. say what you're saying. <laughs> I, I think Caleb I think Caleb is like he's hanging on the mark there. I think yeah. as time moves on and as technology changes and access to certain films. So for example, Sword of Doom I was talking about earlier. Right. I kinda doubt like a lot of American audiences knew about that film or saw it the same year or two it came out, you know? But now with Criterion and Letterboxd and all these sources, it's no longer kind of a hard film to find or look into. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I see exactly what you're saying, Jack. Like, for example, Sword of Doom has 
7.5K views on Letterboxd, which is more than a 2015 film, Adderall Diaries, that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm glad, but I'm glad Colin poses this question in regards to Wilder People, because I think all of Watiti's films have this kind of potential of growth, you know, as people watch the Thor Ragnaroks or the Jojo Rabbits or his new Star Wars stuff. They're right. going to go back and explore, you know, boy and what we do in the shadows and wilder people. So I think it's fitting for this conversation topic because Waititi's kind of a director who, you know, he worked in like the lower levels of budget and, you know, worked on these personal passion projects and now gets to play around with bigger studio money and make these bigger giant movies, which right. is kind of in a lot of ways a filmmaker's dream. So it's inspiring to many film fans. That's true. That's that's mm-hmm. That's a good point. I just, I, I basically just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on the, the term uh, indie. Because I know it, like, obviously with stuff, meaning meaning changes over time for all kinds of things. So, anyway. Just curious. We can actually talk about the movie now. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, so now this is a good discussion the for the movie, though. Because, you know, that how someone he like say our listeners hear us talk about this this could alter their perspective and make them want to go watch a film like hunt for the wilder people now that's true yeah i don't know and and honestly it's a it's a mindset that i myself have to get out of as well like just because you haven't heard of a movie uh doesn't mean it's a not a good movie type right. type of thing so I would argue a key part of the podcast process is kind of documenting our own personal growth in regards to how we view, like, the cultural elements of our views on film. You know, it's like I said when we were talking about Lawless a few episodes ago. When I first saw Lawless, I was very much in that, like, oh, I only watch movies that, you know, David Elric and The Dissolve talk about on their high-end website. And now I'm kind of like, you know, like, Lawless might be a masterpiece. I've only seen it once. I need to give it a rewatch. Maybe we'll talk about it on a future episode. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> I, I'm with you, Colin. I'm with you, Caleb. Like, I, I get this mindset of, you know, sometimes you got to put down your blinders. you got to put down your tinted rose-shaded glasses or whatever. And you got you just got to approach the movie head-on. Yeah. I agree. I like that, Jack. That's a good way of saying it. I agree. That's, that is good. All right, let's talk about the actual movie now. <laughs> yeah, Colin, you were you were really into this movie, right? Do you want to kind of yeah. talk a little bit about oh, how yeah. the film may have like beat or exceeded any expectations or preconceived notions you had in regards to like the indie movie talk? Oh, for sure. Uh, first of all, I feel like whenever you hear the term indie movie, you just assume like you assume low budget. It's almost like indie movie and B movie have like combined into this weird term right so i assumed oh like this movie's gonna be you know lower on the budget they're not gonna have as much uh like as big of a talent or anything like that uh and i mean sam neill's a pretty big pull man i also didn't know that sam that sam neill was from new zealand and that like that's that's his accent and i was like good lord and it makes a whole lot more sense now why Taika Waititi has him in a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. One of the things that I really liked, uh, not necessarily from like a filmmaking, well, I, I, from a writing perspective, at least in the movie, again, in kind of my research out there today, I, I read uh, an article that was talking about how in a lot of his movies, uh, Taika Waititi 
because uh, obviously he's like a funny, like I would I would say there's definitely comedic styles in his directing. I wouldn't necessarily call him a comedy director, but like he's a funny guy, and like he, you he can, has his roots in comedy. It, exactly, like of the Concords and what we do in the shadows. There's definitely like a comedic background. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even his first appearance in this film is the priest. Like you know, oh like it's very much a comical scene, mm-hmm. even he's, though it's kind of a Jesus. dark scene. He's a uh, he's tricky that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's tricky like that. Anyway, but oh god, what was I saying? Oh, he when he writes his movies, like anytime he's involved in like the writing process, he targets and takes people or groups or things or whatever that are on like the fringes of society. And in a normal comedy, like in like a '90s, early 2000s Adam Sandler comedy, uh, you'd laugh at those like at those people. Uh, for being fringes mm-hmm. and weird. And he does a really good job, uh, especially in this movie, but now that I start thinking about it in all of his movies that I've seen, of making you laugh with that person, not at mm. that person or group or thing or whatever. Uh, like in this movie, he takes a ba- a, a real bad egg, uh, Ricky, <laughs> and, he, and he paints this beautiful picture about a kid who's had quite frankly a effed up life like a really mm-hmm. messed up life and he's still got a lot of personality and he's still uh you know like he's still a good kid that's been beaten around really harshly and i i thought about this idea of taking those fringe fringe members of society and uh kind of empowering them in a in a really unique way and that was a big part of the message that i got from this movie because like you've got ricky as a character who's not who's you know a friend society you've got hector who like a big point is he doesn't know how to read uh he grew up in the bush like all that kind of thing we had some technical difficulties there so we're back i farted (laughs) and the speaker couldn't or the microphone couldn't handle it so it it just froze everyone's internet and we had to get it all back together (laughs) put it all back with popsicle sticks get the duct tape out you know yeah, Kayla was all like, I told him not to sit on the glass. <laughs> shit, 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 uh, shit got real again. <laughs> there we go, our our reference for the movie. No, but Colin, if I remember correctly, your question was kind of about, like, how do we feel about Watiti's, like, kind of almost empathizing with these characters who are kind of the outcasts. Yeah, with the, uh, yeah, the, the underdogs, the members of society who are outside the norm type of thing. Yeah, go ahead, Caleb. I'll let you answer that first. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't think I thought about your – I don't know. Was it your reading or you said you did some research I, and you found I mean, something that said it? It was in a uh, – it was just a, like in a review I read for the movie. And someone okay. and someone had a very – it was kind of an offhanded comment about uh, Taika Waititi dealing with fringes of society. And I just started thinking and I was like, wow, like a lot of his characters – in a, throughout a lot right. of his movies, even in like Thor Ragnarok, right, right, uh, Korg is very much on the fringes of Sakar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go. Like that, that's what I'm saying. And like the more I thought yeah. about it, the more I was like, "Wow, this guy's on to something." <laughs> or, or whoever, no, whoever I, wrote the I, review. I really agree with you. I think he does give, like, he helps you relate to his characters in a way that does, like, you aren't, like, he's not poking fun at them for being who they are. Right, but you are kind of seeing the world through their eyes 
for sure. I mean, you can say the same about Jojo Rabbit. And I don't, you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, right, Jack? Or have you? I have not yet. I have Shame. not. Highly recommend. But to Colin's point, yeah, Taika Waititi does do a great job at portraying characters, like people on the fringes of society and giving them a personality, something that you can relate to. That's like a real that's a really good observation that I hadn't I didn't think about while watching the movie or even right after watching it. Well, to to be fair, I also <laughs> didn't think about it. I just got inspired by right. someone who I can't even remember what like what website or what review I was reading. Uh, but I'm yeah. glad you brought up something very very important that I think we have to talk about. And that is cuz you said he he builds a relationship uh, with the viewer and like the characters in the movie. Yeah, this film care the instantness uh, of the character bond you feel with like Ricky and especially Bella and Hector. It rivals up in like quickness of building a connection, and then in like ten seconds, like taking it away, like killing off a character. For sure, for sure. Because within the first, I mean, it's a little bit longer, but within the first. 25 Stretch minutes on that movie. first yeah, chapter, first chapter yeah. of the movie uh you're like wow ricky's life is gonna be great oh boy wow wow mm-hmm. okay ricky's screwed you know what i mean it and it it doesn't need very long for you to be like man that's really like when bella dies and at the funeral even though like it's comedic at the very end like when heck walks out oh there's so much about this movie i love jesus christ <laughs> I love this movie, y'all, so much. Yeah, it sounds like the film did a good job of, like, kind of capturing you both, like, emotionally, but also in, you know, a good way that you were like, oh, this film wasn't depressing, per se. No. Like, it made you feel for the characters, and it provided that cool, like, empathy draw, while also, like, making you tuned into what's happening to these characters and their adventures and struggles in kind of a fun way. Oh, yeah. And one of... Right. Uh, I'm going to steal part of one of my other discussion questions, but what I, what I started thinking about was when I was trying to classify this movie, I'm like, is this, is this a comedy? Is this a drama? Like, like, is it supposed to be like primarily funny or is it supposed to be primarily emotional? You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of question kept coming up and I was started asking, I was like, what makes a good comedy? Is it, the movies that don't have emotional depth and are just jokes, 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 like at Anchorman, at like an Adam Sandler movie from like the late 90s, early 2000s, or are the good comedies the ones that have that balance uh, mm-hmm. of of the funny, like, yeah, it's going to make, we're going to make you laugh, but also we're going to like, we're going to feel some things. And another observation I had with him, with Waititi as a director, I'm like, he kind of, especially in this film more than any of his other films i think he weaves that uh those really funny moments and he juxtaposes them next to very emotional moments because honestly bella dying is like the best example so bella dies yeah you see hector you know holding her body like this very rough gruff tough person broken like absolutely shattered uh, and then you immediately cut to the funeral, which is the Taika Waititi, Jesus is a tricky one scene, which is hilarious, but it happens right after, like, a, a really emotional beat happens in the movie. 
uh, and he does such a good job of trans like transferring or passing the baton between comedy and uh, more dramatic, mm, more emotional mm. pieces. It's it it really is to me like it it captures. This is gonna sound so pretentious. Oh my god, but it captures like uh, real life, like the way life is funny. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Do you, do you see what the direction I'm going with this? Like, I, th- I think I see where you're going with it. The, the kind of feeling that you get, like, in real life when you, like, you know, like when you're taking your dog to the vet and you accidentally run over a squirrel. Like, wow, that's a terrible thing that happened. It's ironic. It's like It's like true irony. I don't know. I'm getting lost in the weeds here. What I'm saying is this movie made me feel stuff and it was good. Colin is so lost in his feels, he does not know what to Dude, say. Dude, I, I know, literally. <laughs> so Caleb though, and I are going to come in and save please him. Please <laughs> do. God, I love this Caleb, movie. Caleb, what, what, do you want to add anything to that, or can I say a few things? You, you go ahead and jack. I, I won't say anything. So I like what Colin's saying, and it kind of reminds me of two parts of the film that I think are very specific to this movie. Because what Colin's hating on can be kind of broad in nature thematically right. and isn't just limited to Waititi's film. So for me thinking specifically about wilder people i want to talk about one ricky's haikus oh god ricky's haikus amazing so freaking good especially at the very end oh like, yeah i don't want to i don't well, i don't want to spoil it yeah because like, we haven't said we're doing spoilers or not so i don't want to just do it without bringing that up but yeah at the very end solid haiku he's like that's my haiku about maggots i call it maggots yeah right <laughs> But, but for me, I would make the argument – I want to go ahead and say this. Haikus are kind of a funny form of poetry, this idea of like, oh, you got to restrict yourself to these certain stanzas right. and limitations to create you know, art and poetry. And I think that hits on what Colin's talking about with this emotional mixture of depth, this idea of like, this is a really sad, serious movie about real life, but we also have to have these funny moments to sell tickets, get butts in chairs – and I think in a lot of ways, the story structure and how it handles tone is kind of like a haiku in a weird, abstract way. Does that make sense? For sure, yeah. yeah. The second thing I think of when it comes to Colin's examples, and this is a good time for me to give my big shout-out, because in my opinion, we got to talk about the best part of the film, Miss Rachel House. Boom! She is so good in this movie. She's the, she plays the she's social Paolo, service. Paula, right? Yeah, who's chasing them. The, mm-hmm. the no child left behind lady yeah <laughs> she's so good what, yeah. <laughs> what's her little on the talk so she's like no child left behind no you know she says their, it yeah over. their faces when they, she kept saying that were perfect oh yeah <laughs> yeah that that part's so good but i love rachel house she's easily my favorite part of this movie i'm not talking about you handy i'm talking about a real cult with a gun <laughs> <laughs> she's all perfect, like Colin. she's like does this look like a human head to you andy <laughs> No, but what I love about her character so much is it's a very dark role because for a lot of people, these service workers are kind of traumatic to kids in foster homes, and it can be a role that's very villainous and very dark and very intense. But she just has a good way of bringing a very comedic, like, over-the-top element to the performance. And part of that helps with Watiti's direction and how he's doing it. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying this. Uh, this like emotional weaving with really comedic elements so like again taking fringe members of society honestly kind of pointing out like a big flaw uh, not just in like I'm sure in New Zealand but like in America or pretty much anywhere across the world pointing out like 
the flaws of the child protective services or like the CPS uh, welfare equivalent yeah. in other countries. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And again, yeah, she she's hilarious. Like some of the funniest parts of the movie. Uh, <laughs> God, she's great. She's like, get over here. Use the root. No, use no, no. You know what? It's too deep. Okay, you, Ricky, we're gonna stay here. You come over here. She uses like it's such great combination of that like like you're saying the the tragic villainous role that these that that type of character or that type of person in real life can play uh and does it in so funny god i love this movie wow i i Uh, love this movie uh, so much (laughs) i'm more like sarah connor and after she did the chin-ups oh yeah she's like yeah yeah you're like yeah yeah she's like you're like sarah connor but before she could do the chin-ups Caleb, I'm going to put the spotlight on you real yeah. quick. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like you love this film as much as Colin does? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't love this film as much as Colin does. That's a bummer. Which is okay. We don't have to always agree. This movie yeah. is so freaking good. Colin's kind of had his chance to talk about his love for the film. Tell me a little bit about, like, some of the discussion points you've brought to the table and, like, wh- what your perceptions on the quality of this film are. So I still think it's a, a high-quality film. I think Jojo Rabbit is better. I think... Taika Waititi's growing as an artist, as a director, and I think that's really good. As I was watching, so this has, it kind of ties into the cinematography of this film and some of the, how this film plays out. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the cinematography, they capture like the landscape, like the forest, the bush, like all that really, really well. Like it's, it is gorgeous. And a point that keeps coming up, and I think I'll use, is his name Psycho Sam? Is that it? Yeah, the, Psycho the, the Sam. Bushman? Right, right. That's right. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating that they that they had this character just randomly a part of the story. It was, it was kind of odd to like at first. I was like, why would this like conspiracy theorist, anti-government, anti-society person be out there? I mean, it's it's not unlikely. Maybe it's more common there. I, I don't know, but <laughs> and then and then I started thinking about it for a little bit. Like a lot of this film is Ricky and and Hector, they want to be out in the bush. They want to be out in nature, just kind of living amongst it, eating off the land. And to some extent, there is a conversation to be had here about how that's not really possible anymore. Especially in a place like a, a very civilized or industrialized place like we live in, like like uh, Ricky and, and Hector live in, is like, it's kind of like what Psycho Sam said, is like, if you want to get out, you got to fill out like five pages of paperwork to to just get out of it, and it's not even worth it. So it's like, there's there, I think there's an interesting, I, I don't know what necessarily the, my specific question is with that. I think there is a conversation piece about nature, how like we still are living in nature, in the forest, but we're not, like we, we kind of deceive ourselves, but when you try to go press into that, you're met with contempt as if you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be out in, in nature or living off the land. You should be more civilized. You should be a part of our, well, like we can control. Okay. And I would say that's very clear with like Hector's character arc right. because when he, when he's all like, Oh, Ricky knows I can't read. I'm gonna go beat this kid's butt. But then, of course, he hurts himself and sprains yeah. his ankle. So <laughs> right. I definitely think Hector's whole character arc is a lot of that kind yeah, of that too. conversation piece. That, that, that's a good observation. And even with the bird, 
too. Like there's this, mm, mm. I want to go do that, but I'm being pulled away from that. That's not like a, an accepted practice to just observe how beautiful something like this bird is because of how rare it is. Right. No, that Caleb, you hit that on the head. That was, <laughs> you know, I said this about the Isle of Dogs episode, but like, I feel like you have a very good way of kind of talking about some of those more subtextual conversation pieces in regard to the film's theme that I hadn't thought about. And I was like, oh, that's because you're right about Psycho Sam. He pops up in the third act. He's this new character. Yeah. And at first he just seems like a weird, wacky comic relief, like, oh, I've got the trap door. Oh, I forgot to build it. Oh, I forgot to dig it. <laughs> that was such a, <laughs> a great visual gag. I like that a lot. Yeah. But but no, you're right. Like there is this conversation point about both Ricky and Hector being outsiders, and like you know maybe they find their peace out there with their guns and dogs out in the land, right. like the wildebeest, and they're doing their thing. But but there's also this you know conversation piece of like society wise, how does that view people who want to live like that? Yeah, I mean even think about the title, like hunt. For the wilder people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that, I feel like that can be taken a couple of different ways, if you th- if you think about it. For sure. Oh, a thousand. Per- this is why I love this. Oh my gosh. I freaking <laughs> love this movie. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, I, I do want to say on the topic of you know a character like Psycho Sam popping up and Paula and the co, like fake police officer that's with her i don't remember his name andy it's andy andy like a lot of these like small side characters or even some that pop up really frequently like they're done really well it's not like they like oh we kind of need to have somebody here so we can progress the story further they like really filled it in they didn't they added some depth to it that was really great i think that has a lot to do with the writing as well how they're able to write that serious intense emotional like drama next to the punchlines and the witty comments and that the, the way that y'all were talking about it earlier how a lot of that like it sits next to each other Colin you you, you uh, kind of brought that up how mm-hmm. the comedy sits next to the emotional scenes very kind of abruptly but they work really well yes and like I'm just thinking about the scene where they're running away from from the police and he's trying to like you know, do a hand gesture sitting like underneath like the brush and they're like, like, uh, like running above him. Right. And he, they, he like can't say anything, but then we was able to say something. He's like, I was trying to make a reference to Lord of the Rings. Didn't you get it? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like, I was trying to say it was like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and that was a very like heated moment. Very like, this is like life or death here. Like this is him getting caught versus him keeping on the run. Right. He's just making light of it, which is really interesting. And I think that speaks a lot of Ricky's personality, but, but like my point with that was when, when I watched that, I almost thought Taika Waititi is doing this better than I think even Jordan Peele did in us. Like he, Mm. Jordan Peele put a lot of humor next to a lot of very horrifying moments. Like, and I think, Thinking about like just that comparison in my mind is is really fascinating, because us came out after something like Hunt 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 for the Wilder People, and right. I know that it's like obviously those are hard to compare, but the way that he that style of sitting humor next to a very intense, dramatic, horrifying, thrilling, emotional scene, like I think that's that takes skill, and I think that Taika Waititi shows that that he is a true like great writer. He is a true comedian with that. For sure. And that's what I was saying about how it 
how the comedy and the emotional moments they they I feel like they mirror real life, uh, and that's why absolutely at, at least to me, and that's probably why it ring resonates so well with me, uh, just because I I feel that connection uh, because he makes it ironically by making it farcical and ridiculous at points. <laughs> In my mind, it, it almost becomes more realistic and more relatable. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would argue in a lot of ways, like, I think the strong kind of thematic elements that produces the really powerful empathy Colin's talking about, and then maybe also, like, some of the more, like, social conversational pieces Colin, or Caleb's, I'm getting guys mixed up, that Caleb is talking about. Right is for me the draw of this story is that this is very much a story about two guys two men one young one old dealing with loss and wanting to escape from these emotions and that pain by leaving society by exiting like you know mm-hmm. yes. the life of being like right. part of the system and they want to go out into nature and just be out there on their own kind of like i said earlier with their dogs with their guns yeah and it's about how two different characters can come together through that feeling of accomplishing something, which they do as they become the wilder people. And, right. and I think that has a very strong, like, heart to it. And it's one of those films where, you know, this movie is very much described as charming in a lot of reviews. I mean, look at the, the yeah. little words yeah. they make up, like, majestical, or the fact that there's so right. many haikus in it. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's definitely, it, it, this might not surprise you guys, but this is currently the highest grossing movie to come out of New Zealand. Wow. Wow. And I'm talking about, like, New Zealand productions, not films that are filmed in New Zealand. Sure. Yeah, so not I started to say it's not pulling, like, Lord of the Rings numbers. No, okay. no, no, it's not anything. It's still, like, yeah. But but there's a reason, like, Watiti would go on to do, like, Thor Ragnarok after this. Right, yeah. I mean, This it's, film was a success. Yeah, like, clearly he's putting stuff down that people are picking up. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, going back to the whole up comparison of, like, oh, old guy, young guy, dog on Adventure in the Wilderness. You know, I've heard many people say, like, oh, this is, like, up, and that's kind of true, but I think the draw of this film is very much that New Zealand tone. Like, you know, Watiti is definitely, like, going back to his roots, and, you know, this is a film about New Zealand. Yeah, there's universal themes going on, but as you guys were talking about with, like, the landscapes and the setups, this is very much a film, like, representing the beauty of New Zealand. Right, Mm -hmm. I agree. Someone also wrote uh, in one of the the things I was reading today that it was a it was actually a teacher wrote a lesson plan and one of the discussion questions was how does New Zealand the country uh, act as a character in this film to which I rolled my eyes slightly and was like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> one teacher to another yeah, right <laughs> like, why don't you calm down a little bit Professor Awesome huh <laughs> anyway. Kayla, what other thoughts do you have on this film in regards to, like, its quality or discussion questions? So I, I kind of have a similar observa- observation about this one that I had about Isle of Dogs. But okay, I think that okay. also speaks to the influence that, you know, Wes Anderson might have on Taika Oh, absolutely. There's definitely, I would argue both Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson are kind of, their influences can be felt on this film as right. regards to, like, the compositions and the editing yeah, so if you haven't listened to the Isle of Dogs episode, I talked about how the perspective of the news, like media and outlets and, and, and journals and headlines was a big part of understanding Isle of Dogs and, and, and interpreting it. 
Right. And to go, to to go back to my point about how this is like the tension between being in, in a part of civilization versus just living out and off the land away from everybody. You get a lot of scenes of newsreels in this one too. Of You do. The, the like news cycle is oh there is this is how we are understanding and interpreting this story that's being controlled by the um, I guess it's like their form of the child protective services. So it's like they're controlling how people are understanding and reading this situation. And that has a lot of driving force on the, the journey that they go on and what they experience. So I think well, that also has also their reputation. Bruh, right. You know, exactly, they kind of get exactly. this fame. Yeah. You're blowing my mind right now, Caleb. <laughs> I need you to slow down, pump the brakes, bro. <laughs> Caleb has his, like, Charlie Day board of all the different lines to different pixtures. Like, Hunt for Wilder People is like, Isle of Dogs, this, 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 this. <laughs> I just become this conspiracy theorist about how, like, the news is, like, ruining and controlling the world. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, that's, that's, that, that's, a, that's, that's a really good observation. Like, way to connect, <laughs> way to connect uh, two movies. <laughs> yeah. and I respect that perspective because it has this almost metatextual element of, you know, media and news is a form of film. You know, they film yeah. events right. and that's how mm-hmm. they're portrayed. So then you're watching a film about yeah. events being filmed. It has this very much layers element yeah. of, you know, this is kind of how we're perceiving things when it comes to how we right. view the world around us. So I like that observation. Caleb. I, Good I job. do as well. Yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> that's, God. that's good. I like it. That's good. Man, that hit me. That was good. Well, if it's okay with you two, I'm going to move on to a quick topic of conversation I wanted to bring up in regards to something Colin had said earlier, kind of my own thoughts on the film. So earlier, Colin, we were talking about, like, the idea of indie movies and, you know, what movies draw you in. Right. And for me, one thing I noticed about my film viewing habits as I watch more and more movies is there are certain movies I used to hold in higher regard that have kind of gone down in rating. And sometimes I think that's less of a matter of, oh, it's not that these films all of a sudden became bad. It's just my taste has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, my changes in ratings is less of a reflection on whether a film is good or bad and more of just how my tastes have changed. Right. Mm -hmm. So an example of this is earlier I talked about how when I first saw Thor Ragnarok, I wasn't as hung up on it as most people were, right? And you were wrong about that, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, Caleb would agree. No, no, no. But that's what I want to talk about is the first time I watched Hunt for the Wilder People, I can say my rating for it was higher than what I would currently give it now. Interesting. So, you, so you're saying upon rewatches, you've, you are liking it less? Not just that. I think I might like Thor Ragnarok more, too. Interesting. Please explain. So I guess my kind of discussion question before I talk more about that is, you know, you guys have seen Jojo Rabbit. I know Colin has seen What We Do in the Shadows. What is kind of your current thought process on ranking the films of which TW that you've seen? I'm just called TW because I'll get my words all jumbled. (laughs) It's like like from Arthur, you know, TW, his little sister. My little sister, TW, and his imaginary friend going around. You know, they shot that boar with Ricky's gun. It was like, you are the apex champion when they killed the boar. It was crazy. It was crazy. Wow. But anyways, Colin, where do you you think you would 
you would rank so please so please okay all of what are all of watiti's films in in order uh, i'm just kidding <laughs> with the no no it's fair state. it's fair no it's uh i'm pretty sure none of us have seen boy no i know yeah i haven't which for a while that was like the highest grossing new so, zealand film let's see so the big ones are he made a really small film called Shark versus Eagle 07 which I haven't seen. He made Boy 2010, I haven't seen. What We Do in the Shadows 2014. That's a pretty big one. There's now a TV show of that one. Hunt for Wilder People, Thor Ragnarok, Jojo Rabbit, and then his next one will be the new Thor movie coming out in a couple of years. Okay, cool. And then there's obviously like short films and, and episodes you know, others, and stuff, but, yeah, of TV right, shows. Right, right, but, but we're like, because you've seen What We Do in the Shadows, right, Colin? Yeah, I've seen What We Do in the Shadows, I've seen Hunt for the Wilder People, I've seen Thor Ragnarok, I've seen Jojo Rabbit, and I've seen a lot of, well, some of his TV shows that he's done. Now, you've kind of made it clear you like Wilder People the best of all these you've seen, right? For sure, Hands down, Wilder People is my favorite Taika Waititi movie. No and, question. And you're also very, like, you're very into Thor Ragnarok. So what do you think kind of your argument is for what makes you like Wilder People more than Thor Ragnarok? And Caleb, I want to ask the same for you. What makes, like, Wilder People better than Thor Ragnarok? So okay. think about that real quick. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely need a second. Yeah. Uh, so Hunt for the Wilder People really does a good job of that emotional capturing and uh, capturing that emotional moment and capturing the comedy and Thor Ragnarok at like at the end of the day like it is while it is definitely Taika Waititi it's still a Marvel movie if that makes sense like it's still where's the where's the clothes for lack of a better word of, of a Marvel movie even if the guy underneath the Marvel clothes is like way cleverer than most people who wear the marvel clothes i and i think that in a weird way that kind of dampens it i used to have a theory back in the day that i would never ever give a marvel movie above like a b plus because mm-hmm. uh i was like this is it like they're not aiming to be a pluses they're aiming to be b pluses which is above like well above average for sure so awesome good for them ironically that's what holds Thor Ragnarok back for me is it's just not quite as magical as or majestical or, or, yeah, or majestical, <laughs> majestical. Uh, <laughs> as Hunt for the Wilder People it doesn't have the same like heart heart exactly uh, I can no that's a good argument I can I, I, see I the, the robotic parts under Thor Ragnarok under the Marvel machine but uh, you know Hunt for the Wilder People is flesh and blood <laughs> Oh, very nice, very nice. Well, and the reason I'm asking this question is because on this rewatch of Wilder People, at first I thought, oh, Wilder People is obviously better, but now I'm kind of doubting that. So, Kayla, would you like to share a little bit about why you think Wilder People is better than Ragnarok? Uh, yeah, I think, I just think that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got him. <laughs> I love yeah. the bluntness of that, Kayla. Excuse very nice. me? You think what's wrong? <laughs> I think Hunt for the Wilder People is better than Thor Ragnarok. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what, but what Jack is saying is oh! that, that Thor Ragnarok is better than Hunt for the Wilder People. <laughs> you guys broke me. Usually it's the other way around. Usually I'm breaking you too. Yeah, right? Normally the... Oh, man. Uh, okay. 
Well, it's perfect because, like, the shirt Colin's wearing now is very formal compared to what he normally wears in these calls. So he, like, has this formal, like... Yeah, if he wears a shirt. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if he wears a shirt. Zap, dude. Speaking of Thor, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right, we're calling it now. Colin is the Thor of this group. Caleb's the Captain America of this group. Wait, what? I don't want to be Captain America. (laughs) Please, don't. Jack, if if anybody, you're Captain America. (gasps) Wait, really? I'm Steve? Why? Because, man, you're the de facto leader, I feel like. Oh, I'm so honored. Absolutely. You also were very that. rigid in your principles. <laughs> so. Wait, is Tony not? Yeah, that's actually, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. So Tony's not the leader. I mean, he's, he's the leader insofar as he's the one who gives them all the money to do the things. But I feel like. the. Oh, we're going by the Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, Caleb, you could be Tony. I don't want to. I don't want to be any of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb said, "I swear." Caleb's Hulk. <laughs> no, Caleb's the chillest yeah, dude ever. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. That's right. <laughs> well, speaking of of Hulk, he's in Thor Ragnarok. So, Caleb, try to convince me. What, what's your argument to why I should think Wilder People is better? <laughs> when I think with Thor Ragnarok. It still has to do with with the with the I don't know if contrives the right way. Just this is a bad attempt at introducing Hella and telling her story. Like it was not written well. Like and I think this is a good example. And this also goes to Thor's friends too. Mm-hmm. Having rewatched yeah. Thor, like the first Thor recently, like they are underutilized significantly and killed off way too easily in. Thor Ragnarok. Like, Hunt for the Wilder People, like I said earlier, all of the side characters, they do an amazing job, and they suffer in Thor Ragnarok. I see what you're saying. Actually, I see what you're saying a lot there. Uh, Me having not seen the first two Thor movies, uh, and not... Ever? Ever. Wait, uh, Colin, what are you doing? (laughs) What... How can Caleb you say that Thor it. Ragnarok is is better if you haven't even seen the first couple of Thors? <laughs> I I knew it had to come out eventually. <laughs> I actually didn't know that either, Caleb. Yeah. It makes you feel like better. Yeah, I've never seen Thor 1 or Thor 2 all the way through. <laughs> so there's quite a few of those characters who I have no clue who they are. Like the bald guy, no idea. The teleporty sword guy, uh, no idea. Oh my gosh. I just kind of... And that speaks to how good Thor Ragnarok is compared to those two garbage fire movies. Is because I didn't need introducing to those characters. All I needed to know was teleporty sword guy had could teleport. And all I needed to know was bald guy <laughs> was obviously going to betray and then join the right side again. And whether he died or not was up to Taika. Let's do... um. <laughs> Let's do a charity stream where we tie Colin to a chair, make him watch the first two Thor movies yeah. with Inherent Vice in the middle, and he can't be released till like people stop donating. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That that actually, we're keeping it on the back burner. That's not For a bad real? idea. Oh the Colin Fleetwood live commentary. <laughs> well, if you don't mind me interjecting, fellas, I do like your arguments, and I I am gonna go ahead and say it. I think Wilder People is better than Thor Ragnarok, but this rewatch of Wilder People, 
I think viewing the humor this time around, there's something about it that makes me appreciate Thor Ragnarok more. And I'll say this. Colin brings up a good point about not really being familiar with kind of Thor's backstory specifically to the MCU. Not a bit. So, for example, Caleb brings up the good point of there are certain elements introduced in Thor Ragnarok that don't always click well in the film's kind of overarching narrative and how it relates to the MCU's main storyline, correct? Right, right. Well, Colin hasn't seen those other Thor movies, so for him it's more of a, okay, what happens in this film, Thor Ragnarok? And I think where T.W. works best as a comedy writer is I appreciate his comedy most when he's working with a very straight-laced character having to deal with wild, wacky spectacle. So in Thor Ragnarok, that's obviously Thor and Loki. You know, they're these kind of almost Shakespearean-esque, really dramatic, epic, brotherly rivalry. And they get stuck on Sakaar, and all of a sudden there's Jeff Goldblum and Korg and the Hulks there. So it's kind of a more colorful, wacky world they have to deal with. Right. Right. And then in Wilder People, I'd say the kind of solid, straight, serious man, the stoic character is Hector, who has to kind of deal with some of Ricky's eccentric nature. And and I think I prefer the comedy more in Thor Ragnarok, because while I agree with Caleb that there's a lot of messy elements to the narrator in Thor Ragnarok, seeing Thor and Loki being thrown into these sillier, wackier, and very sci-fi-esque situations has a very cool comical tone whether it's Hunt for the Wilder People is going to lend more for that kind of sometimes saccharine, sometimes po- po- is it poignant? poignant? Poignant. Jack can't. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Poignant. Jack can't pronounce words. Twenty twenty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think it kind of lends to that more dramatic, serious element. So I'll say this: I think Hunt for Wilder People is a better film, but I think I appreciate the comedy in Thor Ragnarok more from how it tackles the comic book perception or perspective perspective not perception okay i see what you're saying i definitely respect that yeah so you're not i i take back my my um my blunt that's wrong from <laughs> earlier <laughs> all right let's do this gentlemen let's kind of before we get to rating the film let's wrap up our thoughts any final discussion questions or points we want to bring up about hunt for the wilder people uh, here's a here's a crazy uh, conspiracy hat question for you. Uh, do you think that Taika Waititi was taking a pot shot at the relatively failed No Child Left Behind act in America by making that a line in the movie? Oh, I'm just kidding. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother discussion that could Ugh. go for a long time. <laughs> yeah, just go listen to Fighting in the Age of Loneliness and get your your kind of your leftist political dose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, is the fact that No Child Left Behind failed is that is that left to say? I don't think so. I mean, Colin, that's kind of a pointed question in regards to like you're more aware of like education systems than Caleb and I are. We're not right. teachers. I guess that's like true. And I, this also has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So never mind. <laughs> I'm mean, all out. Every Colin, everything Colin says is muted. You're just gonna hear me and Caleb talking <laughs> yeah. in like thirty second pauses. Yeah, it's gonna be really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Caleb? Any kind of final thoughts on the film before we hop into our ratings? It's not funny if it's not about a movie that's supposed to be quiet, Caleb. <laughs> Boom, got Boom, him. Boom, <laughs> roasted. 
Well, I, I don't want to just say something just to say something. I want to, if I have something to say, I want to think about it for a second and then say it. Never. That's a crazy thing. You just say. No, you're good. And and and, and I think like last time with Isle of Dogs, that was very much a film that asked a lot of. Right. Maybe it didn't ask a lot of questions, but it brought up a lot of like talking points and themes that sure. were good for discussion questions. Because last time we were shooting off discussion questions left, right, and blowing holes in the ceiling everywhere, kind of like Julian Baker shooting, you know, Sam Neill in the butt at the end of this movie. <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah. yeah, I don't think I have anything left to say about Hunt for the Wilder People. I think I've said my piece. Nice, nice. Well, I'm gonna start ratings with Colin. Okay, Colin, you're in church. You know, the minister tells you, you got five doors to go through to go meet Jesus. You got those five doors. Maybe you can do like a door and a half. How many of those doors are you going to pick, Colin? I'm going to pick all. Wait, Caleb, are you okay? Uh, you look... I'm going to pick <laughs> all five of those doors. <laughs> Caleb just had just had Diet Coke squirt out of his nose like milk. <laughs> I don't, that, that didn't actually happen. It's, it's, but I, I love that you hey, said that who, I was drinking Who Diet are they going to believe? Colin's word Me with Caleb's eyes beer. or you with your nose with full of Diet nose, Coke? With the nose. I would have known if that would have happened. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok fan bases accused Caleb of shooting milk out of his Boom. You are now a Twitter pariah. We're calling it Milkgate. <laughs> Milkgate. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Okay, so Caleb, you're next on the rating. You're in the savannas of Africa. You got five wildebeest with you. You got to send a couple of them across that river. How many of those five wildebeest are you sending across that river? Hmm. I'm gonna send four. I want to keep one. You're gonna keep, keep one. Okay, okay. <laughs> Caleb's eating good tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jack's gonna rate this movie like a one, aren't you? Watch. Yeah, that's probably gonna happen. I, I will say this: the rating I'm gonna give is higher than the rating I thought I would give. So like a one and a half. So. <laughs> My my poor son being hunted by Terminators. I got to go up to that bar and do my chin up, Sarah Connor style. How many chin ups are you gonna do? <laughs> nice <Jack>? reference. <laughs> I'm gonna do three chin. Three chin ups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so mad. That is hey, not enough chin ups. I was mad at Caleb for only doing four. <laughs> Wait, I was oh, supposed bye. to do chin ups. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Caleb said I was supposed to do chin ups. Uh, can I actually even do three chin ups? Yeah, I can. The, the Yats workout program. <laughs> He's Colin's about oh, to do boy. it. <laughs> well, that's kind of perfect. We got a five star from Colin, a four star from Caleb, and a three. Star. I mean, I was going to give this like two and a half at first, God, but you. you guys have given me some good presentations, some arguments. You cheesy kind of boost bastard! It up. How dare you? And speaking of changing our mind, it's time for a new segment. Oh. Dun dun dun! What is it, Jack? Tell us. You excited, Colin? I'm so excited. I I I. There's pee. <laughs> There's just pee. You didn't pee. Nobody peed. It's just there. It's, it's just, just there. <laughs> what a strange occurrence. Oh, my. So I think part of the podcast process is going back and listening to what you produced and created and saying, man, do I really sound like that? Yikes. So this segment is called Mistakes Were Made. Oh boy. And in this segment, we're going to take a second to talk about mistakes we made in the last podcast. Now, if you want, we have our email address, yellingatthescreen at gmail.com. That's yelling at the screen, no spaces, no caps, at gmail.com. And you can also email us mistakes we made. Maybe you can email us some praise, too. You know, stroke our ego a bit. Tell us how awesome we are. Tell Caleb he doesn't have to be Hulk if he doesn't want to. 
So something to think about. I'm just saying the truth, man. I'm just speaking the truth. And, and honestly, <laughs> the the main reason I wanted to intro we all know Colin's Hulk. Let's let's not get it. <laughs> Colin's totally Hulk. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. As I hope Honestly, ninety percent of the reason I wanted to introduce this segment, mistakes were made, is because I realized in our um one of our Star Wars discussions, I said Rise of Skywalker was like weaker than the other Disney Star Wars movies. But right. honestly, the more I think about it, I think that was a mistake. I think Force Awakens is weaker than Rise of Skywalker. Really? <laughs> they're kind of like, Jack, what is going on? That's tough. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Like, they're both equally pretty bad, so it's kind of hard to say which one's better. Are you, is this a debate? <laughs> Rise of Skywalker is worse. I And I do not like I, Force I agree. Awakens. I, but like, I think... The Force of Money. The Force of Money. <laughs> so here's why I want to say Force Awakens is weaker. So Force Awakens tricks people into thinking it's good because it's a lot of setup. Like, oh, we're going to answer questions later. We're just establishing these characters. Look, Harrison Ford's back. You love Harrison Ford. <laughs> Buy the new toy. Remember Star Wars. <laughs> nice. Rise of Skywalker, on the other hand, is a very self-aware film of its failings. It kind of knows it went through, like, production issues and Trevor got fired and Carrie Fisher died so from the get-go Force Awakens is always going to have kind of an advantage quality wise over Rise of Skywalker but here's why I think Rise of Skywalker is better than Force Awakens <laughs> I'm just picturing kids at home now like what is he talking about why would he say this why, would he say that? why? so for me I think Rise of Skywalker I like it slightly more than Force Awakens it's not not by a significant margin but slightly because Rise of Skywalker is aware that it is a stupid film. And we all know the moment where this film admits its stupidity is during the beginning when it's with all the rebels and it's just that close-up of Poe's face and he goes, Somehow, Somehow. Palpatine returned or whatever he said. <laughs> is, is alive. And it's just no, like... No, it's, it's sometime, somehow Palpatine's back. And we're just like, holy It's like no shit. filmmaker... <laughs> Puts that crazy silliness in that movie without realizing what they're working with is kind of a lost cause. Because think about it, the whole movie is just chasing MacGuffins and like, yeah. we gotta find this knife that has a very specific point for a map of the old Death Star that could be weathered, <laughs> taken away, and oh look, Palpatine has all these, it's just very stupid in its presentation and its script. And I'm sure there are Rise of Skywalker defenders out there, and I'll give them a little, you know, something today by saying it's better than Force Awakens. But I think my key argument is, I like Rise of Skywalker more because it kind of understands it's a dumb film. Whether it's Force Awakens is like, oh, we'll focus group more ideas into the sequels and get the story going later. Jack, to kind of go full circle, I think I, I do think you're right. I think retroactively, when you consider the trilogy or the sequel trilogy as a whole, I think that is a very good observation and good 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 conclusion. However, for its time, when the Force Awakens came out, like this kind of goes back to the the initial reaction versus how does it age? You know, the mm-hmm. the like the the, uh, the initial reaction was pretty great. They set it up really well, or sort of. I mean, more or less the they're just doing Star Wars. But um, remember, they they, they 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 set it up as a Star Wars movie, which was fine. Like we love Star Wars. Let's let's watch it. Let's have fun with it again. But retroactively, yes, like it 
it doesn't I don't think it's going to age well. I think it's it's not that great. You agree with me, but you kind of disagree with some sentiments I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. Cool. cool. How about you, Colin? What are your thoughts? I just think that I I it's it I agree with Caleb. It's not going to age well. <laughs> it's it's going to be we're going to look back in 25 years on this and we're going to think to ourselves, "Wow." So Rise of Sky why yeah, didn't Taika like, Waititi why didn't, direct exactly, all of those? Exactly. Like, why, like <laughs> whose whose dumb idea was it to, boy, the the Star Wars to pay a director yeah, that much money? To like the Star Wars, boom. The Star Wars IP right now is really taking a. The Star Wars IP is taking a beating. Like, say what you will about the like the prequel trilogy. Those movies knew what they were about. Like, they were consistent, right. and they had moments of gold in them, and they were true to the story, and they were true to all this other stuff, and I just feel like Rise of Skywalker is is a really, really, honestly, it's, it's kind of sad uh, attempt at, I guess it's not sad because they succeeded. There's definitely a lack of vision yeah. to those films and their overarching themes and narrative that Lucas in the original trilogy and prequel trilogy definitely kind of achieved and brought to the table. Oh yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I I I think part of it also might just be like it's it's Lucas's brainchild, like he's the one who came up with it. So maybe yeah, no doy, it makes a lot more sense when he does it. But even so, even through that lens, it's just like, man, it is so bad. I do think, like, Solo is worse than Force Awakens. I think that film has a lot less entertaining elements than what I like about Force Awakens. And that's maybe a conversation for another episode. Mm. But I'm glad I brought up this Star Wars point on this episode about Hunt for the Wilder People because... I do think there is some hope and good ideas and optimism going along with TW directing the next big Star Wars film because I I think he has what it takes to deliver something unique and something that, you know, will be entertaining. Because I may not be in love with Thor Ragnarok. I may not be in love with Hunt for the Wilder People, but I would not call them bad films by any means. And I think... Rise of Skywalker is a bad film yeah. that I ironically enjoy from a comical standpoint. And I think Force Awakens is a bad film that thinks it can suddenly become a good film by means of like referencing older events or giving the people what they want. And I think TW is going to deliver something better right. than those films. Oh, oh yeah, for no sure. Doy. That's going to be... And I think it's going to better suit him than the MCU does, mm-hmm. honestly. It's gonna it's gonna play with his, it's gonna play okay. on his strengths. I hope you're right. Mm-mm. Calling it now. Well, we'll come back in ten years. We'll revisit and, this ten yeah. year anniversary of our yeah. Hunt for the Wilder People episode. Ten. Okay, right. so the final thing I want to say in regards to mistakes were made. I've been thinking about my rating for Isle of Dogs. You know, I gave that puppy two out of five poison sushi rolls and you know i'm thinking (laughs) i'm thinking that might have been harsh and you know listening back to it doing the edit on that episode and hearing a lot of caleb's points about media interpretation and how that film is very much like about 
what the media means to kind of communicating issues and problems, I might have been a little harsh. So guys, mistakes were made. I'm here to tell you today that is not a two-star film. I'm bumping up to two and a half stars. Let's go! (laughs) (laughs) Jack, I'm glad you bumped Uh, it up by a half star. The average rating is now a four point... Well, 4.25. That's actually not terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not bad at all. 4 was good. I was fine with 4. 4.25 is a great increase. You're welcome, gentlemen. You're welcome. Do you guys have any mistakes you want to admit <laughs> to the masses that you've made? You know, come out and say, hey, I messed up. <laughs> Considering that we just found out about this segment, <laughs> I don't have anything yeah, to say. Neither do I. Because I didn't come I, prepared to talk about also, it. Also, <laughs> you run into an issue, Jack, because I, as we all know, am never wrong. I'm, Boom. I'm only correct. So I guess this segment for me could be more about reminiscing about all those times I was right on the podcast. Like, uh, <laughs> like man, Thor Ragnarok is, is a great movie. You know what else uh, it, I was right about? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 is literally, <laughs> I think, the greatest film ever created. Oh no doubt. We're not we're not arguing with that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. One day I'll explain to y'all the two minute anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, we're giving that we're gonna give that episode of we're gonna give that movie an episode one day. <laughs> <laughs> For further, you know, mistakes that Colin, Caleb, or myself made, email at us at yelling at the ask yelling wait, what's our email again? Yelling at the screen at gmail.com. That's right. That's it's that simple. My bad. Yelling at the screen at gmail dot com. <laughs> you can also find us on the Twitter at uh, boom yats tweets. That's w a t s all capitalized and then tweets capitalized as well. Anyway, so next week we're gonna talk about another movie about kind of being outlaws out in the wilderness, mm. out in the country, kind of fighting the law. That film is Colin's current favorite movie. I think it's directed by John Hillcott, right? Uh, Colin that's probably right. I don't know. I'll look it up. I just know it's my <laughs> favorite movie. I don't need to know all those film nerd things. You don't need to know who's directed it. Yeah, who cares? That's for nerds. This movie is... Yeah, I can't tell if it's John Hillcott or John Hillcott. Anyways, we're going to be talking about 2012's Lawless, directed by John Hillcoat, starring Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf next week, Boy. which will be exciting because Colin has given Wilder people big praise, so he can do his own like WWE bracket tournament style. Oh, Who will win bro. this time? <laughs> Lawless versus Wilder people. That's exciting. Okay, one last thing. Speaking of ratings and like favorite films, I have a new homework assignment for us. Uh-oh. Oh. Right. I did not I see this either. coming. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I did. I did not tell them about this ahead of time. Jack, you haven't told us about the last like twenty-five minutes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep the. I like to keep my boys on their toes. <laughs> okay, so your homework assignment great. is this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it too. How do you define your rating system Ooh. based off of five stars? So what separates a four-star film from a five-star film? What separates a two-star film from a three-star film? You can bring examples to the table, but 
that is kind of our homework assignment. We want to give our listeners a feel for how we like to rate things and how we like to talk about that conversation regarding numerical values and quality. So next time, let's bring some examples. Hot. Dang. I like that. What a... And it's a little bit less good, heavy than the That's a good homework assignment. <laughs> yeah. Who, who said that you weren't the host? <laughs> Wait, did somebody say that? <laughs> or, or, sorry. I'm who's, Captain who, America. Yeah, David. you're Captain America. <laughs> who, who said you weren't the leader? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, Collins Hulk and Caleb is... Black Widow. Black Widow. His movie got canceled. <laughs> Boom, and that's all we got for this. Damn. No, he's wearing black today. So. <laughs> I am wearing a black t-shirt. You caught me. <laughs> <laughs> well, tune in next time for Lawless. Find out which one Colin likes more, Wilder People Lawless. And who knows, maybe on the next episode, Colin will admit a mistake he made. <laughs> I doubt it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm Jack. I'm, I'm Colin. Caleb. And we are the Avengers. Hey. <laughs> Me angry. <laughs> I'm I'm always angry. <laughs> oh wait wait one final question okay, about Hunt for oh, the Wilder wait. People. So one of the last couple of of expressions that Ricky makes, and even at the end Hector makes too, is they talk about I didn't choose. Is it the Scrux life? Yeah yeah. What is Scrux? What is that? I think it's just a New Zealand word for like a, like a gang. Like you know, I didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose me. But yeah, that, that's the that's the thought I got. But I didn't actually I I, know how to well, take that. Well, let's Google it, shall we? Scruggs is the post-credit sequence where we're googling New Zealand. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, should I Urban Dictionary? Do it. Urban Dictionary. Scrug. Here. Hurry up with your Googling, Con. I gotta Scrux use the restroom. With an X at uh, the end. A bitchy, pissed off looking hobo. <laughs> this is Urban Urban wow. Dictionary. Uh, How, wait, how'd you spell S- it? C R U G G. I don't. I'll know. just say, how about this? I'll say Scrug. New Zealand Urban Dictionary. An ingrown or knotted pubic hair located on a white dude's nutsack. <laughs> what? <laughs> there you go, Caleb. There you go. Got into. <laughs> a person who eats weird food combinations. Uh, this is just the list of all the entries on Urban Dictionary. I don't know. I can't find it. I think it's scucks. It's scucks. Oh, how do you say? Scrux. How do you spell it? I think it's just a. It says a informal word for gangsta. Oh, okay. Well, there we. Or or like stylish. Isn't that what I? Like didn't I like say a, that at the beginning of all this? <laughs> didn't I say? <laughs> you probably did. I didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose me. It's more or less correct. Caleb, I'm so smart. You are, uh, Colin. Why? Why would yeah, I? Yeah, just so y'all, you? for all y'all listening to this blooper outcast or out or outtake. Yeah, <laughs> Colin's actually the smart one. Everyone else is dumb. <laughs> I just play the dumb one on the show. We're filling up this computer with beans. So what is going on? Oh, well, man, I'm gonna tell him that you're fi- working on and telling me the power supply. Okay. Oh my gosh. Dude, 
Power. Yeah, he say it's a power. Wait, wait, wait. Come here for a minute. He said it's a power. Dude, huh. have you ever opened this computer up before? No. I'm going to open it up and show you something I've never seen before in my life. What? What? What is all this shit in here? This is not supposed to be inside a computer. This is beans inside. It's not like to help the computer Absolutely. stay cool no, or anything? No, 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 Someone sold you something with a bunch of beans in it. What's under these? Uh, that's the motherboard, and actually... These are the motherboards? No, no, no. You, you, all of this stuff you're seeing, this pile of... These are the motherboards. No, this is food. This is beans. Someone put beans inside the computer. 